Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. I want to just, again, say thank you so many of you to be here, friends, family, church family, to support and celebrate and what we got to celebrate in Porter's baptism. Thank you for the love and the support you've shown him and our family, and you will continue to. Now, for those who have not been worshiping with us regularly for the last 16 months, we have been preaching through the book of Matthew verse by verse. And so we arrive today at Matthew, again, chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. And so I'm continually amazed at how the Spirit sort of lines those things up to what's going on, to what is happening. Um, It just sort of always tends to fit. And so I have said many times, I don't take credit for that because there are weeks when I think, oh, I'm going to go past and then I stop and I don't. And it just, it lines up. And so I'm thankful that today is no different. Um, But for those of us, again, who have not been with us in our past series, I do want to just kind of give a basis for where we are in our text this morning. We've been, again, studying this book of Matthew, and it's giving out and laying out the life and ministry of Jesus. And, And we've seen him start his ministry primarily preaching and teaching to his disciples and crowds that are gathered with him. And now, for the past few weeks, things have changed a little bit. We've noticed that the narrative has shifted because the Pharisees have sort of come even more on the scene. They've become more prominent in challenging Jesus on his validity, on his ministry. And not only that, they, as we saw a couple weeks ago, they've begun to devise a plan to have him killed. The Pharisees, again, are the religious rulers of the day. And they were the ones who lorded over the people with these religious laws and their extreme additions to the law. And as we have seen over the past few weeks, the Pharisees are unhappy with Jesus, to say the least. They are doing everything they can to try and discredit him, and simply because they're losing control. They no longer are the ones in the spotlight. As more and more people continue to learn about and follow who Jesus is, the people begin shifting their focus away from the Pharisees and more and more on to Jesus. And this loss of control makes them irate. It makes them angry. And again, they are plotting his death. So our passage this week sort of is a part two of our passage that we used last week that's right above this one. Because in the passage last week, we saw that the Pharisees make this baseless claim about Jesus. They said that Jesus was casting out demons not by the power of God, but by the power of Beelzebub. And today, Jesus sort of continues with that emphasis about their words how important their words are and what their words mean. So look at verse 33. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. 
A tree is known by his fruit. Jesus loves to talk in illustrations. He loves to use analogies. He loves to use those to explain his purpose and in his intent. And here he uses this image of a fruit tree. And he says that the fruit is the indicator as to whether the tree is a good tree or a bad tree. Notice he didn't use the size of a tree as the indicator of whether it is to be good or bad. He, he didn't say if the tree is towering over other trees, then we know it's a good tree. He, he didn't say if the tree is stronger than all the other trees, then it must be a good tree. No, he simply said, look at the fruit. I think so often we think Jesus is expecting us to be strong. So often we think Jesus is expecting us to show our strength. And if we will just be strong, then he will be made glorious. But oh so quickly how we forget that Jesus said, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Notice also he doesn't point to the quantity of fruit. He, he doesn't say that the quantity or the amount of fruit is the indication as to whether the tree is good or bad. Now, again, I think many times we think the only way God will consider us to be a good tree is if we have this massive reach, if we are, have a, a ministry that is widespread, or if, if, if we have a name that is known by all, then we'll be a good tree. That's not what he says. He, he doesn't even allude at all to the quantity of fruit. He doesn't say you must have massive amounts of fruit or have massive reach to thousands of people in order to be called a good tree. Now, God, we know, will call some to have an incredible reach for his kingdom. He has called some to be a voice that millions will hear, that some will know. But do not discount yourself and think you are unimportant in the kingdom of God simply because your impact may be different than others. If you, if you are called to faithfully teach a Sunday school class to a handful of people, and each week you teach that class and you do it for the glory of God and you display his goodness to those handful of people. Maybe your name will only be known by those few and not millions. But I tell you that the handful of people that you faithfully teach each week will see your fruit and will benefit from it. They will hear the good news of the gospel and those handful of people's lives depend on it. So this example of a fruit tree, Jesus wants us to see it's not about a quantity of fruit. It's not about the strength or the towering of the tree. Jesus says, we'll know that the tree is good by its fruit. And so this example of the fruit tree, what he's saying and what he's showing is that Jesus wants us to see that the tree is synonymous with the heart and again, he's talking back to the Pharisees that the fruit is synonymous with the words that they were speaking. 
And so he addresses the Pharisees based on their words. Verse 34 says, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Brood of vipers, yikes, right? Would you like to be called a brood of vipers by Jesus? I, I don't think so. And this is not the first time that this analogy or this, this word has been used. John the Baptist called the Pharisees this back in Matthew 3, and Jesus again will use it again in Matthew 23. This is a cultural term meaning those filled with malice. And he says directly, how can you speak good things when you are evil? Essentially, he's saying you act all holy, you act all pious, you act upstanding, and you can try to fool people through all these acts, but there is one thing you cannot hide, and that is the words that are coming from your mouth. This is the key to today's passage. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, when we say that heart there, we're, we're not meaning the actual organ in your chest that is pumping the necessary blood to your body. What he's talking about is your spirit. So we must understand that our body, our true self, body in the ground, she's not there. Last Sunday evening when she took her final breath, her spirit left her body and was with the Lord. Because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So this heart that he is referring to, that is our spirit. So the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, meaning our speech is directly tied to the condition of our heart. And that's what he says here in verse 35. A good person produces good things from the overflow of, a good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. Now, our words tell the condition of our heart. Look at that word storeroom. Again, there's another analogy that Jesus is using to help us. So in this case, let's call it a pantry, okay? That, that, I think that would help us more. Now, many of you know my disdain for chocolate. I, I, I can't stand it. I hate the smell, the taste. I don't want you to eat it around me. I sure don't want Lauren to eat it, and then I try to kiss her. Like, I hate it. So if I had my own personal pantry, and I filled it with the things that I like to eat, this would be Matt's personal pantry, and you came up to me and said, I really want a piece of chocolate. Can you look in your pantry to get one for me? There would be no reason to look because it wouldn't be in there. There would not be one ounce of chocolate in my storeroom, in my pantry. And even if I wanted to try to impress you and make it like I could try to produce a piece of chocolate for you, I couldn't. Why? Because there would be none in my storehouse. There would be none in my pantry. Same is true with what Jesus is saying here. He is saying to us, our heart, our spirit is either good or bad. Meaning our hearts have either been transformed into a heart of flesh or they are hearts of stone. And Jesus is directly saying here, you will know what kind of tree it is simply by the words that come out of the mouth based on its fruit. I think that should cause us to kind of pause, right? And he even says in verse 36, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. 
Think about that. We will have to account for every careless word we speak. Every word is accounted for at the day of judgment. You and I will stand before a perfect, righteous, and holy God and answer for our words. Our words are powerful. Our words can give life to a person or can quickly tear someone down. He says, for your, by your words, in verse 37, you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, Jesus is not saying here that it is our words that save us. So let's not miss that. He is not saying that it is our words that save us or that it is our words that condemn us. But he is pointing to a clear indication as to whether or not our hearts have been transformed by the gospel. That if our words are the objective indicator of the spiritual condition of our heart. When we open our mouths, we reveal what is deep down inside of us. Whether it's good or whether it's evil. Here's the main point that Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees. Your words are an indication as to whether or not your heart has been transformed. It's very simple. So I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are my words life-giving? Or are they tearing others down? Put this in perspective. Let's say that you had a stenographer that followed you around all day. And at the end of the day, they read an account of all the words that you spoke that day. Would the summary of those words be life or death? Would you hear those words read back to you as if you were in a courtroom and saying, hey, would you read that again? Would you hear those and think, man, those words produce life. Those words were encouragement. Those words were propelling of the gospel. Or were they all tearing down? Were they all just breaking things apart? Were they all just what's wrong with everything? From the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus says here, and he says in other places too, you will know them by their fruit. Jesus says it's not our words that actually save you, but it's your words that show whether or not your heart has been transformed. This is why when Porter started asking questions about salvation, When he started coming to us and talking about salvation, we didn't rush to get him to recite a prayer. Why? Because we wanted to see fruit. I wasn't looking for him to just recite something. I wanted to see, is there fruit in his life that a transformation in a heart has occurred? I think we've confused it. Reciting a prayer does not save us. God saves us, and God transforms our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And if we're looking for Porter, if we were looking for him to recite a prayer, I think we were looking for our sort of self-assurance to make us feel good about him doing something. 
that's not what salvation is. Salvation is the fruit of a work that has happened in the life of a believer. And then we can say, as Jesus said, oh, I know that a work has been done because I see the fruit. I see the fruit. Back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about false prophets. And he said, be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing by inwardly as ravaging wolves. He said, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Again, this is why reciting a prayer is not evidence of salvation, it's fruit. That's what we're looking for. I think, again, some of us have clinged to the fact that, well, I got baptized, so I'm okay. I went through that act. And again, we're going to celebrate baptism. We believe that Scripture says we should be baptized. But baptism is not the end of Porter's salvation. Baptism just began it today. Baptism is that public profession that says, I am starting on this journey of following Jesus. So he's not going to look back and go, hey, on May 7th, I was saved. No, he's going to go, on May 7th, I proclaimed to the world A.E. this church, I.E. this church, that I want to follow Jesus. And so this is the beginning for his life today, not, not the end, not the culmination. Again, I think maybe sometimes we think that being on the membership role of a church is our true hold of salvation. It's not. He doesn't say, we'll know them by they recited a prayer. He doesn't say, we'll know them if they got baptized. He doesn't say, we'll know them if they're on a membership role. He said, we'll know that they are mine by their fruit. 